right, we are live. Welcome to the first of the Citadel Builders podcast. We are a group that revolves around discussions with pleb builders actively looking to build a Bitcoin circular economy and a Bitcoin Citadel. We look to advance the use of Bitcoin and Lightning for day-to-day transactions and long-term savings while reducing corruption made possible by fiat money and its destructive consequences. And all this will hopefully tie in to help us raise awareness of the dangers of the ever-encroaching government and corporate surveillance, talking about the practical steps that people can take to increase their privacy, sovereignty, and ultimately culminate in building and participating in a Bitcoin circular economy of free and sovereign individuals. Now, the show is hosted by we three gentlemen here. First, let me introduce the ever fearful doom porn aficionado dash. <laughs> we also have with us the resident think boy Mike and me, an opinionated know it all who has strong opinions on every subject, but probably doesn't know much about anything that he's talking about. Dash, what do you have to say for yourself? Andy, thanks for that. Yes, um, yeah, I'm the uh, the dower paranoid um, sort of privacy guy, the group. I'm here with my tinfoil hat. Um, yeah, really excited to start this this podcast with you with you too. Um, you know, and I'm hoping we can use it to, you know, as you said, raise awareness of things like ever encroaching, um, you know, surveillance of the of, of government and corporations. Um, also, um, you know, help inform people of you know practical steps they can take to. Um, win back their sovereignty um and so yeah looking forward to do this with you with, with you guys think boy what say you um so yeah i'm mike um i've been in tokyo now for almost a year um i met these guys at a bitcoin meetup uh, over the last summer and um i've been into bitcoin for about five or five to six years um not really into it uh i like focusing on privacy and security and uh, like economic implications of Bitcoin. I'm, in, I'm excited to see what, how this thing grows in, in Tokyo. And hopefully we can focus on a lot about what's going on here in this podcast. I'm surprised Dash didn't turn off. He mentioned, he mentioned the location. The, um... Oh, oh right. we're not. Okay. <laughs> I thought we were... <laughs> uh, presenting ourselves as Tokyo Bitcoiners. I think that's, I think Tokyo's okay. I think Tokyo any more right. local than that it would be uh, yeah Tokyo's fine. Well, generally, the show look highlight topics in Bitcoin, viewing its impact primarily through the lens that we have here in Japan. And on that note, um, each show we'll look to have a segment that highlights something going on in Japan, not necessarily Bitcoin related, but um, probably ties into Bitcoin in some way. And Dash will be leading us through that. Dash. What's going on in Japan? Thank you. Yeah, so I'm, I'm hoping to do this as a regular thing where, you know, I'm, I'm looking through the, the news in Japan and, and just maybe giving the listeners a little bit of an insight on, you know, into things that are going on. Try and relate that not only to stuff in the news, but stuff we're experiencing in, you know, sort of on, on the ground level here. Um, but, um, and, and, you know, uh, Japan's been in, in the even Western media a lot recently. Obviously, there's been the um, sort of interest rate talk and the, the, the um, uh, Bank of Japan. What, they, what are they going to do with rates, et cetera, et cetera. Don't have much to say on that. That hasn't been covered already. 
Um, other than I was I was reading the uh, the FT the other day, and I noticed that the the IMF was giving the uh, them a dressing down. They were they were disapproving of uh, the sort of messaging that the Japan uh, the Bank of Japan was giving, which I th which I thought was quite amusing. Um, anything that sort of pisses the I IMF IMF off, I'm I'm in favour of. I think so. Um, but yeah, I mean, who who knows what what the Japanese are going to do with rates going forward? You, you'd you'd expect them to to raise, but you know, really, I, I don't think um, you know we we certainly don't know, and, I, and certainly the Western media and the people commentating don't know. So uh, not not much more to say on that. But what I did want to uh, talk about is is something specific, maybe to the um, to to, uh, to Bitcoin as well, or relevant to Bitcoin. Um, so if you, uh, quite a few of you know that Kraken is has announced they're leaving the market, they're exiting the market actually for the second time. Um, and you know it's a bit of a shame because even though you shouldn't use KYC exchanges to uh, to stack Sats, um, and we'll you know I'm sure we'll talk about the dangers of that in um, in this or later episodes, um, but they were one of the the better ones, um, and um, and you know so it's kind of a shame that they're leaving. However, I I have actually obtained a copy of an email that they sent to their customer base, um, which I, I thought and there's a couple of. Uh, things in here I just wanted to highlight because I think they're quite amusing um, and maybe get your guys comments on but um, I'm just going to read a couple of sections from the email and um, and then I'll just I'll, I'll throw it to the floor for for comment but um, um, so this is what they write so in accordance with JFSA guidance all affected Kraken clients have until January 31st 2023 to withdraw their fiat and crypto holdings from Kraken's platform you may choose to either withdraw your crypto holdings to an external wallet or liquidate your portfolio and withdraw your JPY to a domestic bank account. So far, so good. They then go on to say, on January 31st, 2023, Kraken will send any remaining JPY to a guarantee account at the Legal Affairs Bureau in accordance with legal requirements. If you do not take any action before January 31st, you will have to coordinate with the Legal Affairs Bureau on how to retrieve your JPY balance. Once funds have been transferred to the Legal Affairs Bureau, Kraken will no longer be able to support client withdrawals. After this final transfer to the Legal Affairs Bureau, your account will be deactivated. Um, and then they go on to say, for clients who have staked ETH, because <laughs> remember, there's no ability to unstake um, ETH right now. Uh, due to the limitations of the Ethereum network for staked ETH, clients who are currently staking ETH will not be able to unstake ETH until the Ethereum network's Shanghai upgrade, currently estimated to occur in March 2023. If you're staking ETH with Kraken, we will continue to accrue awards, uh, and you'll continue to see those rewards accumulate in your Kraken account. And once the Shanghai upgrade goes into effect and unstaking has been enabled, Kraken will unstake any staked ETH associated with your account, uh, and they go on to say that after that you'll have a month um, to withdraw your funds or again the, uh, the they'll be sold and the money will be sent to the Japan Legal Affairs Bureau and you'll have to deal with them for your um, uh, you know to withdraw your funds to get your funds back so I, yeah, I just I just think it's absolute clown stuff uh, coming from from Kraken I guess it's the law of Japan and they have to follow it um, but it sounds like sort of uh, legalized government seizure if, if you don't um, if you don't manage to, to sell and, and take your funds out within 30 days of this date just wondered what you guys would think about that yeah, I mean, good luck to anyone who has their funds trapped in there. Uh, but so, what is it? What did it say though? Did it say that if you have anything remaining on the on the final due date or the expiration date, they're just going to liquidate your portfolio for you and then yeah. Your funds yeah, you've got a you, yeah, you've got a month from um, either either this January thirty first date or when 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 Ether presumably when they finally get this Shanghai upgrade done if they ever do you'll have a month and if you don't get your uh, t I guess your tokens out 
they will just automatically liquidate those and send those to the Japanese government. Yeah, I mean, obviously, anyone if anyone who has their funds on Kraken in Japan should should or Bitcoin if you have Bitcoin on Kraken well, in Japan, draw that to your own wallet immediately. If if you've got Bitcoin, you're okay, right? You can. But if you stay, imagine you're staking a substantial amount of ETH. I'd imagine you'd be pretty nervous right now, <laughs> hoping that that yeah. uh, that planned upgrade goes as planned. Yeah, I don't even imagine those kinds of things. <laughs> <laughs> it's great not having to worry about those kind of things. I had never even heard of Shanghai. I guess that's a good thing too. Yes. Yeah. This is the first time I'd heard about that. So, but I mean, what, I mean, how, how late were they, uh, their original plan to, to switch to proof of stake, I think was something like five or six years delayed. So, you know, God only knows when these, when these poor people staking on Kraken are going to get their funds back if they ever do. But I, th- you know, I think, I think there's a lesson there, which is, um, you know, funds on exchanges. I mean, we've, it's been, it's kind of been beaten to death on, on other podcasts and what have you, but it really is true. And it probably can't be highlighted enough that anything that uh, is on an exchange is not yours. You know, it's just at best you've got an IOU or some entry in a database. And, you know, if, if the exchange like FTX were to go under, or if the government were to come in and change regulations overnight, which we've seen that they've done in, um, in you know, in Japan and, and other districts, then, you know, you, you've really no legal recourse to uh, to get those back, um, and so you know the you know, not only not only for Kraken, but I'd argue any uh, regulated exchange where people are holding um, uh, tokens. First of all, you should sell all the tokens and, and convert them into Bitcoin if you do have uh, altcoins. But um, you know, you, but you should get your Bitcoin out of those exchanges and learn to self custody as soon as possible. Right. I, I wonder if the I, I'm guessing that the policy is the same here, where like the exchange, if you have assets on the exchange, they're they're only ever liable legally to like to pay you back in the local fiat currency, so in yen in this case, right? Well, that's interesting. I mean, I, I don't know, I don't know the le- legality around that, but yeah, I mean, it, it it surprised me to see that they would just they would just liquidate that um, either to give to the the legal affairs bureau. Um, or otherwise, but I mean, it seems they have given this window for people to transfer tokens out if if they if they wish, which is a month. But I mean, if you were, you know, I mean, if you were going through things in your life, maybe you had a sick family member, or maybe you'd even been in an accident or something, and you sort of missed this email. You know, you can imagine there's going to be people who are sort of rug pulled here because they they haven't noticed or or they haven't been able to do this in time. And then, of course, that has tax implications, right? So if they liquidate uh, the tokens and you have some some sort of capital gains or what have you. Um, you know, as a result of that, you, you're going to be liable for the tax, you know, even though you're a sort of a forced seller, if you will. So, I mean, it's just, you know, it's, I, 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 it's, to me, it's very worrying to see this kind of thing, although it's not surprising. Yeah, I hadn't even considered the tax implication, but yeah, that will be a taxable event, I guess. Uh, yeah, I would have thought so. Well, thank you, Kraken, for giving the Doom Porn King something else to be worried about here. <laughs> They've done a good job. They've done a good job here. I mean, all things considered for, uh, for altcoin casinos, I I, actually, I had used Kraken here in Japan in the past. I thought it was it was uh, really rather user friendly. So, uh, in a certain certain way, I'm sad to see it go because compared to its Japanese uh, counterparts, it is it was far far easier for if I was going to send somebody to buy Bitcoin for the first time, I'd always send them there because sending them to any other one was an utter utter catastrophe. So, although. Good to see a casino die. Sad to see an easy on-ramp die, but we endeavor to persevere. Well, that was a quick little highlight into Japan. Hopefully we can expand on that in 
future episodes, and Dash will be bringing more stuff in here in Japan. But we'll switch over now to a quick segment that we call the 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 builders segment here. The one of the purposes of the show is to highlight and build up and bring in more people to the Bitcoin circular economy. And the way you do that is having places to spend Bitcoin. And I'd like to highlight this time one of the groups that's doing uh, Satoshi's work here, BitcoinMaps.org. Recently, I've been in contact with them and the, those, of, those of us in Japan have been working to work on building up the Bitcoin map here in Japan. Now, what, who is this group? Well, as I said, it's Bitcoin Map etcmap.org, and it says they are on a mission to help Bitcoiners easily find places to spend their sats. Um, as far as I know, this group started in mid-2022. I could be off on the date, but that's when I first noticed them, and I think that's when their, at least their Twitter file goes back. They are an, uh, what is that, FOSS? They are a FOSS offshoot of Open Maps. They work hand-in-hand with the Open Maps organization, placing um, tags and markers on the open maps site for bitcoin enabled merchants throughout the world and when i say throughout the world i mean everywhere philippines japan south africa you know somewhere in the desert of nairobi they will have if there's somebody taking uh bitcoin they will highlight it as best they are able to it comes through a, a series of tags that can be organized and put together with the community uh as i said it's a community project so members or the populace at large, as they find places that are using Bitcoin or want to start using Bitcoin, can log on to the site. They can log on to btcmap.org, add, delete, edit locations that are known to use Bitcoin. Uh, we here in Japan, we've been hard at work doing this recently. Over the past couple of weeks, we've been uh, going through the list that they had listed for places in Japan that accept Bitcoin. Um, Sadly, we had to go and basically delete everything that was on that map because Bitcoin usage in Japan is very, very low compared to many other countries in the first world. Um, there was at one point probably 70, 80 stores listed on that site, but we're down to maybe a dozen now throughout the entire country. Um, most of those stores that had been listed were from Roger Bear's time, as far as I understand it. So those go back to 2015, 16, 17, something like that. And now that it's been whittled down, the, the few and the proud remain, but hopefully from here we can rebuild. The Bitcoin map organization was able to get their um, their map made into an, a, a, a smartphone app, so you can get that on anything on any any smartphone from any store you want, whether that's Google or Apple. And also if for the, uh, the privacy focus, they have it on F-Droid as well. So if you are interested, download that to your phone. Start looking to see where they're taking Bitcoin in your country. Any interest, you can find them on Twitter at BTC Map, or you can hit them up via email, hello at btcmap.org. So that is our segment on a Tokyo or on a Bitcoin builder. And hopefully we can find more of those to highlight. There's a lot going on. So I'm sure that'll be no problem at all. So we've gone through Japan. What's going on here? We've gone through a builder. And today we want to start our first main topic. What we really are interested in and what we really need to uh, decide is the name itself, 
We call ourselves the Citadel Builders Podcast. But what exactly is a Bitcoin Citadel? So we have a couple of questions that we're going to try and bounce through. We'll see how far we get. This is a pretty deep topic. And Think Boy Mike will no doubt have lots of lots of thoughts on this matter. So let me ask first, gentlemen, what is a Bitcoin Citadel? We'll start with you, Think Boy. What do you think? I don't even have a strong, uh, a developed view on this. When I think of it, I just, when I think of this term, I just think of El Salvador, really. And I like what's going on there. But um, I know that there's some other initiatives, uh, like Philippines, Switzerland, I think Guatemala, right? Um, and some other places. Um, to be honest, I, I haven't looked into any of those other ones. But I mean, like what, what Bukele is doing, making it legal tender, that, that obviously is a huge thing. I'd like to see that happen in more places. Um, I know that there are more like, grassroots initiatives that aren't coming from like the state down. And I'm sure a lot of those are interesting too. Uh, but I'm, I'm more here to learn about what's, what's going on in some other places, what, what other people are doing with those. Well, perhaps it was uh, unfair for me to, to not intro us appropriately. Let me give you, uh, let, or let me give us the, the background on the Bitcoin Citadel concept. So, if you go back to the beginning. It's not like this is a Satoshi thing. This goes back to 2013 on Reddit of all places. In 2013, a redditor by the name of Luca Magnata wrote what would become a wildly popular post in which Bitcoiners reign supreme. Posing as a time traveler from the year 2025, Magnata described that year as a wildly unequal dystopia divided by Bitcoin investors and everybody else. Magnata's post was extremely popular with Bitcoin enthusiasts. They latched on to one aspect in particular, that of the Bitcoin Citadel, which the Bitcoin community revolved around in that story. This author, Magnata, wrote that in the future, Bitcoin would become so prized that holders would joined together in communities spread throughout the world, forming sovereign communities based on the economic prosperity brought on by Bitcoin. As such, Bitcoin citadels would be self-sufficient, inoculated against broader-scale societal collapse, joyous, and free. Now, science fiction stories aside, what the Reddit Bitcoin post set off was the imagination of the Bitcoin community. It said that perhaps Bitcoin should act as a sort of defense against the various forms of encroaching tyranny. The Bitcoin network, envisioned as a bulwark, has led many to take steps in building and promoting Bitcoin in such a way that it can serve as a protective barrier against monetary debasement, governmental encroachment of civil liberties, and totalitarian forms of social contagion. Now, with that framework, what do we think? Mr. Dash. Yeah. What do you think about Similar to Mike, I don't have like a, a well-formed view, but I, you know, I've been thinking about this because I think it's a really important question uh, to, to work through. And I'm you know, happy to work through this with, with you guys on the call today. But some initial thoughts that I've had are, you know, when, when you hear the word citadel, you, you typically think of something physical, like it's a, like it's a castle or something is, is what comes to mind, at least for me. But I, I feel like it's, um, it's not necessarily a physical thing. And I actually think what it is for me... It's it's a reaction against something, and it and it might be somewhat of a uh, arguably a sort of a luddite 
reaction, but it's something that we've all seen during the you know the the, the COVID um, you know last three years, where we're kind of moving away from human to human contact. Um, you know, it's like people are being told to stay in their pods. Um, you know, you, you buy everything from Amazon um, and you buy your food from Uber Eats. And you sort of ne- you, you're not supposed to get out and meet people and, and form relationships. Um, and I feel like you know that was happening before the pandemic to some extent, and 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 back then, and I was certainly guilty of this. A lot of us were think were sort of thinking of that in utopian ways. We're thinking, well, this is great. It's efficient. It's convenient. We're heading to a, be- a better place, like a more convenient world. But what the p- pandemic did is sort of show us maybe uh, a, a brief uh, sort of a view of the future, and it wasn't as good as what we had anticipated. In fact, it was quite a, a dystopia rather than a utopia. And we realized that actually we like to spend time with people and actually relationships are really important and so for me like the citadel idea is really about getting back to that uh human to human like it's about meetups um it's about circular economy it's about trade with your you know in a peer-to-peer way um and you know, sort of, and sort of a reaction against what the, you know, the large corporations, especially big tech and the government are trying, the direction they're pushing it's, us towards, it's sort of going the opposite direction. And I don't think it can be anything uh, physical because then it can be targeted by these, you know, very powerful central um, authorities. But but what they what they can't really target is if something's distributed, if it's peer to peer, and if it's kind of uh, ethereal is is that the word? You know, it's 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 um it, it's 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 online. It's maybe something like Nostra, where you know you got plebs running you know, relay nodes and, um, and, and it's something that the authorities, they can't really even see or understand or, or they, they wouldn't know where to, where to target. And yet it's very powerful, even though it's not physical and even though it's not something, you know, like a castle or what have you, you'd imagine in a traditional sense a citadel would be, it, to me, it's, it's stronger than that because human to human connections are really, that, I mean, that's really what being human is about. And that's what we're forming here. And, and for me, and, and Mike sort of mentioned the, um, El Salvador thing, which I do think is interesting, and I um, I do have some concerns there because it's a top-down thing. But on the other hand, you know, El Salvador is you know the sort of global South, and so they're the sort of underdog who's fighting back against the IMF and, and the states. And within that framing, yeah, I could see that the El Salvador thing is part of this. Even you could even describe it as grassroots um, and a, and a kind of pushback. Um, and so yeah, that, that that that's what it. I don't know. I mean, I'm I'm just trying to form my thoughts thoughts here um but that, that's my initial the initial thoughts i've had about it it's like this is a human to human movement it's like a peer-to-peer movement of of people who just are realizing the value of of, of human connections i don't know what is this whole we found out what we wanted to do with other people thing i didn't want to see none of y'all people i was thrilled <laughs> during this. i had to talk to nobody it was fantastic <laughs> the um well yeah i think um you know from from hearing what uh uh, what you guys said that actually gets us into some of the questions going on. I mean, there's a lot of thoughts that can go, what, what is this thing? What do we all think it is? What do we, what do we individually think it is? Um, my personal thought um, is it is what we see now in the circular economy, like people escaping um, certain aspects of whether government inflation, Lebanon, Turkey, or, um, if they, uh, financial repression in various parts of the world, you know, Afghanistan or something like that, that in and of itself constitutes the Bitcoin citadel. Now it's not a centrally located one yet. It's not a, a shining city on the hill kind of thing. It's not, 
you know, America part two or what, you know, however weird way you want to describe it, but just the existence use and, um, protective nature of it now, um, I think is kind of what the Bitcoin Citadel represents now, whether or not that represents the larger community is another question. Like, uh, you know, if you have Bitcoin meetups or Bitcoin Twitter and you hear people talking, I do think there's, there's people who generally, uh, genuinely do think there will be a time when there is a an island of rich people, you know, kind of like an Elysium kind, if you've seen the movie, Elysium situation where they are cut off, where there's a giant boat around them and they have guns pointed to the outside where the rest of, uh, you know, soy clown world society cannot attack and they, they live in, you know, Wakanda for Bitcoiners. But um, whether or not that represents a majority, I don't know. So, but I think that the Bitcoin Citadel is already, to a certain extent, in existence via those who are using it. Well, that's All right, well, that's and, and I mean, what like what Dash was saying about how it's this invisible thing that can exist within, it doesn't have to be a nation state like El Salvador, right? It can be a more distributed, like conceptual kind of a thing that exists within these existing nation states. I guess there's, there are interesting conversations to be had about what happens at the boundaries of those, right? Like, so if you're in a place like El Salvador, the law currently at least is on your side, right? Like you don't have to worry about every time you use Bitcoin, it's a taxable event, or at least every time you exchange it for fiat or, or spend it on something. Um, and with, I mean, the big threat that everyone talks about in the future is that there will be some kind of crackdown, right? Against holding your own keys. There will be like a, um, see, a like a federal seizure, or like na nation state attacks in various countries, right? And trying to, uh, it'll be a push to move people off of Bitcoin or anything independent, even fiat cash and into this like digital fiat panopticon system. So as a Bitcoiner in the invisible citadel, how does that impact you, right? Like being in a place like El Salvador is very different than being in a place like, let's say that happened in the U.S. and then living in the U.S. at the time. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, one of the difficulties um, about, you know, your, your, you know, because we have to we have to use to a certain extent, we have to use our imagination on a lot of these kind of things. Like, what does that what does that mean? There's, you know, there's the uh, the off talked about um, connection with uh, gold in the U.S., the gold seizure in the U.S. You know, um, what did that look like? How did people handle that? You know, did everybody turn it in? Did they hide it? You know, was, I don't actually know if there was some kind of underground circular economy at that time. I've never heard anything about that. I've never read any articles that said there said there was. It might be because of the physical limitations of actually using gold for anything. Dash, let's say you. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, I'm the, I'm, the, I'm the doomer here. So, yeah, I definitely agree with Mike that, you know, on the edges um, of, of, of this movement that, you know, there will be resistance points right where you know what we're doing is maybe um outlawed in one jurisdiction right even though that's fundamentally just communicating right i mean at, at a fundamental level you know if i send you bitcoin I'm, it's just information that i'm sending well we're sending back and forth right but it, it, we are in a clown world as as i think everyone on, on this um call you know, sort of knows now. And so it doesn't matter really how absurd it sounds. Um, I, you know, I, I think it probably is something that's going to happen somewhere, you know, whether that's the U S or whether that's somewhere else, I don't know. 
um, could well be Japan. And I, I, don't, I have no respect or, or, you know, hope for the politicians in, in, in Japan. We can talk a little bit about that later. But um, and, and because of this, I think one really important part of the Citadel going forward is to understand that this is really a global um, movement and that you as, as an individual, you know, you need to um, consider, you, you know, your options and things like jurisdictional arbitrage, right? And, um, and, and then and one of the concepts that I'm very interested in is, is three flag theory, where you would, um, you know, I think most people are familiar, but just, just to briefly summarize it, it's, you know, you would have, for example, right, right to reside or even nationalities, passports in three or more jurisdictions around the globe. And, you know, maybe one of those is, is in the G7. Um, or one or two, and then maybe you'd have one in somewhere like El, El Salvador or, um, or in South America, perhaps. So, you know, I think definitely this is coming and, 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 and you know, we need to take um, responsibility. This is a movement of, of, of self-responsibility, I think, at the core as well. And so, you know, it's no, it's no use hoping that the politicians are going to make the right decisions or the fair decisions. You know, I don't think they all will. And so to, to mitigate against that or just to make sure you're in a position to protect yourself and your family as much as possible, you know, you definitely need to consider um, things like three flag and, and, and perhaps getting right to reside, you know, visas or, or even nationalities in uh, alternative jur jurisdictions. Well, something something uh, both you guys are kind of not super bullish on the idea of an actual so when we ask what is a Bitcoin Citadel, it's more of a, an internet thing or a mobile thing. There's not an actual mm. thing, place coming in your mind, right? Yeah. Well, for yeah. me, uh, and what informed some of my thinking on this was some of the sort of old school um, cyberpunk books um, that I that I read recently. Things like True, True Names. Um, you know, which I think goes back to the late 80s or it's even even earlier than that. But it um, and, and, and those early uh, writers of the, the cyberpunk genre, they sort of f foresaw what was coming in terms of the you know, government and, and corporate surveillance and that it would be very difficult once you're I mean, the true names is a great example. It's a good book to read because the idea of that book is once your true name was known, you were kind of screwed because the government could send agents to, you know, they they'd know where you live and, and they'd be able to get access to your physical body. Right. So so the only way for an individual to be to be free was is kind of be online and to be pseudonymous anonymous right and so for me you know, that's informed my thinking a lot and i'm thinking that's that's where you get the kind of um what do you call it where the sort of um uh asymmetric advantage versus the state if you're distributed and you're just sort of a pleb and, you, and you've got this an anon anonymity set you can blend into you have a chance as an individual to sort of to thrive within that environment but you're never i i, I don't feel you're ever going to own yeah, like an island or a castle somewhere, because that would just—I mean, I mean that, to me—that's just way, that's Waco, right? And we we know we know how that finished. Yeah, well, I mean, I'm not. Uh, I think it could go. I think there are two different visions, and like the first one is the the castle or the fortress with the moat around it that you you mentioned earlier. And I mean, to a certain extent, I mean, from what I hear, there's tons of problems, and a lot of people aren't using Bitcoin in El Salvador, and they don't even like know what Bitcoin is. Really, the Chivo wallet sucks. But, like, at the end of the day, El Salvador probably is the clearest example of a citadel in the world. And you can already be there and have no capital gains tax. I, like, and that's a permanent measure. I mean, until it gets undone with the fiat laws, right? But as of now, you can, it's different in that respect than everywhere else in the world. 
and like as a Bitcoiner, your use of Bitcoin is protected. And uh, like that's a success story right there in my book. I, I mean that, that's that's a great point, Mike. Um, although to, on that point, it, yeah, I would agree with you. Right now, it's it's definitely a citadel. It's a place where you can go, like you say, with your Bitcoin, and you know you have favorable tax regulation, and you're sort of protected by the state to some extent. The problem is that's a citadel that, that could become a jail. If, for example, and and I and I can't believe it hasn't happened to date, but you know the IMF and 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 what have you, the other sort of forces of the you know the sort of global American empire don't conspire to have Bekele removed, and you can imagine the guy replaces him will be far more <laughs> open to the you know the the traditional fiat world and would probably roll back um, the sort of I, what, what I would consider very progressive things that you know Bekele has done. But I mean, what, what, again, if that's a top-down nation-state. Um, and, and, and then that's, that's kind of infiltrated or the regime, regime changes that can very quickly change to something that's a very sort of negative environment for Bitcoin is even. So, um, I don't think we can rely on El Salvador. Yeah. Yeah. I guess I'm, it's not so much the country. Cause I mean, like, it's not very unlikely that I would move to El Salvador. Right. But, uh, like as a model, that's, that's what I think as Bitcoiners we want to see. I, I think there's like a lot of push amongst Bitcoiners to just hate on anything that looks like leadership whether it's like Michael Saylor or Bukele or whoever else. But at the end of the day, I mean, wouldn't you want your country to have a Bukele? <laughs> That's the way I see it. Yeah, I, I would. I just think that as a, maybe as a Bitcoiner, as, as a sovereign individual going forward, you probably have to think of your country as whichever is most favorable to sort of you and you and your family. And, and therefore, yeah, it'd be great if, for example, we got a Bukele in Japan who was, you know, young and smart and progressive and could push back against this, the, the kind of, um, you know, the decaying existing order, this collapsing existing order. Um, but uh, again, you know, even if, even if we do get one of those, it's likely to attract a lot of negative attention and pressure from these incumbents and, um, and, and, and therefore could be undone and rolled back. And so I think just as an individual, you have to keep that in mind and then and not be wedded too much to one country um or region and, and just be willing to to move um and sort of vote with your feet when uh, you know you see political change which is maybe you don't agree with or or you see some something maybe somewhere else which is more progressive and more in line with your uh you know uh, your interests and your family's interests mm -hmm. do you think most bitcoiners think like that where they have this mindset of being agile and like ready to leave thinking about three flags or five flags or whatever i think a lot of interest did but maybe not actually taking steps to do anything about it because it is kind of tough right um you know I, i'm certainly for, for myself right now you know i have a family and a life here and um it's very hard for me to imagine upping sticks and moving but but then i, I kind of know i need to do something about it but there isn't anything pressing right now that's forcing me to do it. And so I guess it just isn't a priority. So I, I guess to summarize, I think a lot of people kind of maybe interested in the idea, but they're not actually doing anything to about it. Well, this actually is um, a, a, an interesting point. You know, we've, we've kind of danced around what trying to define what it is. It's hard. It's an imaginary concept that we're trying to put our fingers on now, but I mean, I guess um, another question that that is worth tackling is kind of the idea is the Bitcoin Citadel, is it a realistic goal? Is it a goal that makes sense? Is it um, something which we should be pushing for? Or is this just kind of stupid Bitcoin utopianism, you know, 
where we live in a world that just benefits us. Is it something that we should be striving for? Is it something that we could be striving for? Or is it just, you know, nonsense floating in the air? Mike? Yeah, I mean, I'm pretty critical of the Bitcoin utopianism. <laughs> At least I have been. I mean, I used to be a big believer in it. And uh, I, my views have changed um, around that over the last couple of years. Um, Not the utopianism as such, but the Bitcoin Citadel concept that, that as well, or? I mean, I can tell I think the concept of like a social or like a societal Citadel, like I guess what people think of when they think of the Citadel, even though like fortress with the moat around it type of society can exist. I don't think just like grounding your whole worldview in Bitcoin as the savior is going to do that. I think you can have a society like that where everyone's using Bitcoin though. And I, I think Bitcoin would be the best one to use for a society like that. Yeah, I, I would say, I guess the way I think about the Citadel is more focused on the individual level and it, you know, this is less of a societal thing. And I don't really see it as a utopian thing or even something necessarily, um, you know, that I want or I'm doing. Cause I, you know, I think it's, a, um, it's you know, um, something good to aim for i i more think of it as almost it's a responsibility and it's a necessity i mean the more i see you know what's going on especially since you know the the pandemic unveiled a lot i think of, of future plans of of governments and you know the more i looked into the um you know the, the incumbent you know, financial system and saw what a pack of cards that was and you know you sort of put two and two together and start thinking okay you know, if once this, the, the cracks are showing, once this, um, you know, the monetary order sort of gets even more out of control, we see more inflation problems, the authorities are going to have to take steps to, um, you know, to maintain their power. They're going to have to get more and more draconian. They certainly have the tools to, to do that. And so I just, for me, the Citadel is not an optional thing. It's not something you, you know, it's, it's not a nice to have. It's like, it's a question of survival now. Um, uh, and I know that maybe sounds a little dramatic, but but w w when I, when I mean survival, um, and obviously obviously you can survive as a surf indefinitely. I think probably in this um, uh, you know the sort of American-led world order. Um, but if you want to survive as a sovereign individual, if you want to preserve your purchasing power, if you want to have any wealth to pass on to your children, if you want to be free to read the books you want to read um, and communicate with the people you want to communicate and transact with the people you want to trans transact, then you know, you have to start thinking about the Citadel concept, take it seriously and take real practical measures every day to build this thing, whatever it is. Yeah. Well, I mean, it, it, it sounds more even like it's just financial responsibility, right? Financial sovereignty, financial prudence, mm. and maybe even at a larger scale, it becomes something like economic. Mm. Uh, I think it's a very big part of it. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. I mean, when it, even when it comes to the Citadel, I mean, I, I think there are so many factors besides just economic ones and um, within the economic ones, I, I can see how like the money has such an impact on, on everything else. But even when I just look at like urban Japan compared to urban America, it, it is a citadel, right? Like in the way, however, I would con have conceived of like the Bitcoin citadel, the fortress and like a functional society in a, in a world where that is collapsing in many ways. Um, you can just compare Tokyo to like various American cities and the difference is like night and day, but neither, neither has adopted Bitcoin yet. Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, have you, have you, have you read uh, the mandibles? Yeah. 
No, but I've so, heard of it. Yeah, I mean, I think that, I mean, I think the author lays out kind of what a, a, a theoretical Bitcoin citadel, you know, would be, you know, as, as the story unfolds there and you kind of see what goes on in, in what was it, Nevada, I think. Um, when you see what goes on in Nevada, I, you know, I'm the, the utopian Bitcoin Citadel people usually are just schmucks that want a Lamborghini, right? Like they're just like, <laughs> I want the world as it is now, but I'm just richer than everybody else in it, right? Mm. Yeah, and um, I think there's okay. also a vision of everyone else becoming poorer too. That's like a big part of the Bitcoin Citadel vision. But you know, the um, the Mandibles one is is it, is it is it you have a group of people that have chosen to exist outside of the current system for their own purposes and via in, in the story it's, it's via gold they have the option to do they have insulated themselves uh via gold from the global american empire or a collapsed american empire um and gold is a means by which they can do that um it, it would seem to me that uh bitcoin exists as something that could be multi-purpose for that 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 reason uh, so I'm not, I'm actually not totally against, I'm not, 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 not against, but I'm, I'm not, uh, I don't think it's completely far-fetched to see certain isolated communities, which perhaps are, are, are quite large, mm -hmm. um, which kind of look to bolster and, uh, defend themselves via, via the, uh, via the economics of, of Bitcoin. It attracts a certain kind of person, um, which is, you know, kind of a, a side, uh, a side thing, but I mean, it, but who who is attracted to Bitcoin? Who who works with it? Who's involved with it? Um, the the nature of the monetary system itself uh, can you know itself you know be a, a rallying cry for a certain type of of individual um, which organize. Yeah, I I mean that was one of the that was um, you know, there's many interesting things in that book. One, one thing I would say is. Uh, the mandibles is getting more and more like contemporary history, especially the early chapters rather than fiction. I mean, so much of that book, you just read it and you're like, well, hang on, this is what's happening now. Um, I mean, one of the things that they spoke about early on in the book, I don't want to spoil it for anyone who's not read it, but um, just at a high level, the, you know, the, the collapse of the dollar plays a big part. And then, um, and also the emergence of a, an alternative reserve currency, which is the bank or, which is a sort of basket of, um, currencies which is backed by commodities and we're actually seeing that happening now in uh with with um with russia china and the saudis i mean all of the commodity producers it seems are kind of sick of selling their things for pieces of paper um and 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 so there's a sort of movement to get away from that um but but to your point andy that yeah i mean that that the sort of citadel described there in nevada it's interesting that that was allowed to exist um i thought about that and i think one of the key things there it was kind of out of sight, out of mind. But 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 what one of, one of the important things there was that most of the population um, outside of that citadel was they had that they were scared to go to it because they thought that the um, whatever the chip in the spine was going to was going to kill them or whatever. And, that, and so the, you know the, the key there that was the bulk of the population was was controlled, and that the free people in that uh, citadel were, were a minority. I think that's why they were allowed to to continue to exist and so that, that's always something to keep in mind is that if this movement gets too successful oh, so you were where I, where I lost you you were on a you were on a tear about yeah, the dash the the he was the in the middle of talking, talking about the book and uh, maybe maybe just start back from somewhere in the middle there and okay and, did i did had i got past the uh the bancor um reserve you had, just, or got, you had just started on bancor 
Okay, well, let's start on Banco then. So, um, yeah, so what was interesting in the book was, uh, you know, I feel like the early chapters sounded more like, you know, contemporary history when I was reading it than fiction. Um, I think what, what was described in those early chapters is is playing out. We're seeing that with um, the commodity producers in the world, such as Russia um, and the Saudis, who are kind of sick of handing over their, their things for for pieces of paper. Um, and so there's a lot of talk about moving away from, the, you know, them t um, insisting on payment in dollars um, for those commodities and, and even perhaps a, an alternative reserve currency. Um, you know, there's been talk about the, the, the yuan being used to settle um, uh, trade. And also, obviously, uh, Putin has pushed for uh, trade to be done in uh, rubles for, for their oil. So, yeah, I think we're, we're seeing all of that happen. Um, but, but one thing I want to it's just to your point, Andy, just finish on really which I found very interesting in, in the book was the fact that the Citadel that emerged in Nevada, as you were saying, was allowed to exist. Uh, I think, you know, it's worth maybe spending a little bit of time thinking about why that was. Um, because, and the reason I think it was allowed to exist is because the majority of people on the U.S. mainland were psyoped into believing they couldn't go, they couldn't escape from the um you know, into the Citadel because because of the chip that they had in their spine, uh, they were told that, it, that, that, you know, a satellite would sort of kill them if they did that. And that was enough to keep most people on the on the farm, right, on the plantation, if you will, and, uh, and, and, and to not escape. And so the Citadel was just sort of a, you know, it was a collection of cranks, but um, the majority of the population was in line. And, and so I, th I think that's the reason that the authorities there in the book allowed it to continue to exist. And I think there's, that's instructive and there's a lesson there because if this movement gets too successful, right, and it gets too mainstream, that's really when I think you're going to invite the, you know, the pushback and, and, and what have you. And so maybe there's an argument that the Citadel is a sweet spot where it's, it's, not, it's not a mainstream thing. I don't want to sound elitist or anything, but, you know, maybe, you know, the Citadel has to stay at a kind of, you know, kind of, a, you know, the, whatever the plebs, the freaks sort of level. And, um, you know, we're just not, we're just not going to save the, the majority of the, of the population through the, through the Citadel concept. But yeah, I'd be interested to hear you, you got your guys' thoughts on that idea. Yeah. Well, I mean, I guess the, the, the big thing that I'd be worried about technologically, like the big developments going on in the world now, uh, being pushed by the globalists are, is the transhumanism, right? So when you talk about like the chips and they're talking about microchips now, uh, it's that kind of thing where it's like, I have, I have kind of this vision. I think it's a pretty mainstream vision amongst Bitcoiners that the CBDC is going to get tied into all this other stuff. Like you mentioned earlier, like the pod life, eating the bugs, getting microchips, getting tracked in all ways. Um, yeah. That, sorry and, to interrupt, that, that was exactly like it played out in the book as well. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. it's that transhumanist stuff that I'm like, that's like the, the vision of technology like technological developments that I would be completely against. And that's the kind of thing where I see like if Bitcoin's going to be an alternative to that, that's beyond just the personal finances. That's like probably one of the most important social reasons to be using Bitcoin. Yeah, I, I agree on, on, the, on that point in the book. If you didn't have the chip, you couldn't transact you know, so that it wasn't explicitly called a CBDC, but it was essentially a digital currency that, you know, you had to have this chip in order to use. So I think, you know, we're going whether there'll be a chip in, you know, or not. I don't know. But the, but what's clear is is what's planned is, you know, the CBDC, this digital currency will be something that's centralized, permissioned. And, you know, as, as we sort of saw at the nation state level where 
or even at an individual level where individual Russian so-called oligarchs had their assets um, seized or frozen. Um, you know, I think we're going to see more and more going forward. What um, once we've got CBDCs and those those can just be censored and shut off and uh, what have you at will. Then you know we're just going to see the censorship yeah. ramp up and up and up. Did you see that? I mean, did you see that video that was going around Twitter the other day? Uh, it was demoing at a grocery store, like a, a, was it like Amazon payment method, where you scan your hand and then now you can. Oh, like, no. They have a scan of your hand and now you can just go pay with your like biometrics basically, and then your oh, wallet, dear. your wallet's going to be all tied into that. And, yeah, no, and thank, then no, thank you. It's your identity, so it's going to be really easy to to close you out of, of the system for whatever reason. Yeah, I mean, I couldn't imagine anything more dystopian than I mean, I mean, and already, if you think about the money that's in your bank account, and we've seen this in several countries that have suffered hyperinflation, and therefore, as a sort of reaction to that, capital controls is you know, you might have ten thousand dollars in your bank account, and you think you're doing okay, but then you know, one day, you know, overnight, the government announces that um you know you can only actually withdraw a hundred dollars worth a day of, of currency right and so the money in your bank really isn't isn't yours anyway but that i mean that, that just isn't enough for them now it's you know and you and you can imagine the sort of social control that you could potentially enforce with something like a cbdc whereby for example you put an expiry into money and say okay well it has to be spent within two weeks like a, to increase the velocity of money um or they could say well you know you go and try and buy a steak at the supermarket and then you, you're told sorry you've exceeded your carbon you know limit this week and but the bugs are over there right and so you know the, these kind of things you know i mean and 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 you know one thing i've learned from clown world i mean I, yeah I, it's half a joke and, and and what have you to say to come out with these ludicrous ideas but unfortunately whatever ludicrous thing you can think think up of and maybe is a joke today um, in my experience over the last you know especially three years it's it, it that's coming right <laughs> you're like you're you're maybe months or years away from that actually becoming reality it's just the nature of the clown world we're living in so you know it's definitely something that i'm i'm i'm, I'm i am determined to opt out of personally yeah of course and i mean i think i think the the hype that it gets about how ridiculous it is helps like bring it to fruition, if anything. Yeah, agreed. Well, not to move on too quickly, but as we're talking about Citadels, talk about the mandibles and stuff, if you look over kind of Bitcoin Twitter, Bitcoin books, different articles that are written, you kind of come across five or six Bitcoin Citadel general uh, ideas of what they could look like. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to go through the list of possible ideas and both Dash and Mike Come in and tell me, realistic, not realistic, yes or no. All right? So, okay. first, people talk about the Bitcoin Citadel. First thing they do is seasteading, you know, where, they, where you make a little uh, boat island off the coast of Honduras or something like that. I think, who is it? Peter Thiel is big into that. Mike, yes or no, stupid or realistic? I think it could happen to some extent. I mean... Are we like, what's the question? Is it like, is this going to become like an alternative to a nation state or something like that? Or like, is it going to be a real community that people live in their whole life? Or is it going to yeah. be like a glorified food shit? Uh, yeah, I mean, take it how you want. I mean, I don't think the seasteading movement itself really knows what it is yet. That's, you know, kind of open ended right, still right. yet. Yeah, I mean, I could see it being some kind of model where you can like get away from legal jurisdictions 
and it's big enough to actually be a community that people could live on for an extended period of time. I mean, I wouldn't sign up to live on a, on a giant boat, especially at like in the early stage of the experiment, but I'm sure there, there would be some people who would want to do that maybe for tax benefits or something. I, I mean, Where's yeah, your I, adventurous I, spirit, Mike? <laughs> I could see it happening to some degree. I don't think it's going to be like some, I don't think we're going to get like another Singapore from a, from a seasteading project anytime soon. It'll be water world. Although you might be yeah. too young to know that world or know that movie. Uh, Dash, what do you think? Seasteading. Yes oh, or no? So I think back to my uh, earlier point about the sort of Nevada Citadel and why it was allowed to exist. I think yes, as long as it does, it's under the radar, right? And you can probably ask John McAfee, John, John McAfee about what happens when you get on the radar. Uh, Cause I think he tried that to some extent, right? Maybe not quite the same, but I know he was traveling around by, by boat. So, um, yeah, I, th- I think yes. You, you need you need to. It needs to be niche. It needs to be under the radar. And unfortunately, I think with that as well, the, the barrier for entry is very high. Um, so I'm not, you know, I'm not sure, you know, for myself, for example, if I'd ever be able to accomplish that. But it it sounds interesting, and um, and maybe you know, maybe it would be something that I would I would look into if uh, if I ever got those means. I come down. I come down on the anti seasteading side. I don't like to live on the water. I have. Uh, I like the beach, but I like to stand on the. I like to stand on the beach and look at the ocean from a distance. So we'll go with a no on that <laughs> one for Andy. Um, next, people bring up the idea of buying a private island. Realistic? Not realistic? Something in the future for us, Mike. I think that's more realistic than the seasteading, like in the next few decades. Dash? I think the Beatles bought their own island, right? That would be kind of cool. Um, I again, that's the barrier for entries, rather, you know, high there. Um, again, I, it's it's all about keeping it under the radar, I would say. But I will, I think, rather than you know, buy an island, it would probably make more sense to to, to, um, to, you know, not, not necessarily to be in a major population center like Tokyo, but to do something interesting in, for example, the countryside in Japan, where you, you, you kind of had this symbiotic relationship with the local community. I know a lot of the communities in the countryside suffer in Japan because of things like, you know, depopulation, they don't have enough young people, um, et cetera, et cetera. So if you, you know, this this kind of thing where if you had like a, I don't want to say Bitcoin Beach, but whatever the equivalent would be in in, in Japan, um, and and you had that kind of you know as grassroots, and you and you had a you, you were seen as being beneficial for the local community, um, you know then then maybe that could work. But it it seems like I don't know buy, buying a uh, buying an island kind of sounds a bit too I don't know sci-fi or uh, out of reach of the of the common pleb for me. Yeah, wait, hold on. Is the question that like like various Bitcoiners would come together, buy a private island? and like turn it into a new country, like a, a sovereign country that gets recognized by, by like America and like as a sovereign country. Is that what we're talking about? Or is it just like a private Island? Like doesn't well, Jay-Z have an island? Well, think boy, the, um, the idea, well, I didn't have, uh, I didn't have, a, I didn't have a specifics on that one. It was kind of just that when you talk about Bitcoin Citadels, you have all kinds of, different ideas which emerge in either like the one that you just talked about where a bunch of people get together or like some kind of central Singapore where all people get together or Bitcoiners are rich enough to buy their own individual islands and they create a little hermit yeah. island for themselves. So, Well, I think like 
probably an easier approach than than trying to like establish something brand new is to just take an existing island. Like that's what they're doing in Boracay, right? And uh and Madeira, Portugal. Mm. Um I think there's like big Bitcoin projects on both of those. And you can just get everyone on onto Bitcoin and then try to change the change the local laws. Maybe there's a case to be made that you could push for like legal tender in a on an island but not for the country as a whole. But before it becomes a thing in the country as a whole. That that would be pretty cool. Yeah, you so can, it's rather rather than buy the island you orange pill the island, right? Yeah, yeah. And I mean the Japanese archipelago has like thousands of islands. Mm, and mm. just like you were talking about with the countryside, they're I mean, the age demographics in this country is mm. such that like they're basically going they're becoming abandoned. Like there are probably essentially whole islands that are almost abandoned now. Mm. So <laughs> that's why I, I think it would be cool if we could get like some kind of Bitcoin island here in Japan. Yeah, I now that we uh, well, we live in a post Epstein world, so private islands for <laughs> so, so that, that never that never brings happiness when we talk about having a private island now. So Andy, despite his love of islands, will not be living on the Bitcoin island. Now you guys have uh, veered off, and when you started to talk, you already went into next one that I uh, that I had in mind, which I see a lot is convert a local city, uh, a Miami. Uh, in mm. Austin, Texas, uh, Boracay, things like that, things that were that you guys were just talking about, converting a local island or converting a local city to a Bitcoin citadel, going in, having a bunch of plebs take it over. Realistic, not realistic? Do you see it happening? Yes, no. Mike? I think it's possible. I guess what would be the biggest success story right now? Miami? Austin probably, right? Yeah, Austin has a lot of Bitcoiners. Yeah, I guess like... I'd want to know what the criteria is for like how you measure it's a successful thing. Because I mean, what does it even mean to get a, a whole city using Bitcoin? If nothing about the, like, if you're still going to get taxed every time you use it, what's like, it's obviously really cool, but is it like a, what's the measurable victory? Just that like a support, a percentage of the population is, is really into Bitcoin and is saving in Bitcoin and trying to get their customers to pay them in Bitcoin. Yeah, I mean, I think anything that would involve, I mean, a recognition by local authorities that this particular city establishment exists for the benefit mm -hmm. or has favorable, favorable tax status, favorable living status for those who are doing so on a Bitcoin standard. But I don't, you know, right. as, as with everything else, this is kind of ill-defined yet. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that can happen. I, I think that's probably on track to happening in various places. If not already, I mean, hasn't like hasn't the mayor of Miami done all kinds of pro Bitcoin things like in his office? He he took uh, did he take some salary in Bitcoin? He also did some slightly shitcoiny things, right? Was it yeah, uh, is it called stacks or something? It's the Bitcoin uh, one of the Bitcoin things. I do remember mm. that. Mm. And that's where they have the that's where um, we all go to pray once a year, right? Well, Tokyo is doing <laughs> right. Didn't the city of Tokyo sell NFTs? Oh yes. yeah. So yeah, I mean, I don't. Yeah, I mean, that was just a theoretical idea. But I think, I mean, you guys seem more favorable to that than say starting, you know, than mm. the island or the seasteading so far. Anyway, right? Yeah. Well, how mm -hmm. about this? 
communal, we'll move on to the next option, communal ranch or homesteading? Mike, possible, not possible, realistic, what do you think? Wait, is this even in the context of Bitcoin anymore or just like... Yeah, this is Someone the might. this is the Bitcoin Citadel. Uh, like oh, okay, it, okay. it exists more well, in the communal ranch homestead kind of kind of. Aren't people doing this in the U.S. like in Texas or something? I see some people on Twitter always talking about like setting up a giant ranch project in Texas or something. Um, but there's the there's the beef initiative, right? That Texas Slim's yeah, doing. Farmers, I think selling selling meat and stuff mm. for Bitcoin. So I mean, is that is that a an instance of this, like if that's the case, I think people already are doing this mm. successfully. Yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd argue people are doing this successfully. And I think, you know, one of the things that Bitcoiners have noticed, and especially through the pandemic, is, you know, Bitcoin is just one one piece of the puzzle. Um, but if you don't have places to use the Bitcoin, and especially something as important as food, um, you know, it can be it can be all for naught, right? And so I think maybe, and, and also I know, I know the ranches in the US from what I've heard from Texas Slim and sort of other, um, whatever guests that Odell's had on, et cetera, is that you know, it's kind of, they, they've, they've been put in a really difficult situation in, in the US where the food supply is controlled by a very small number of corporations and, um, and it's very hard for them to sell their, you know, products at a kind of fair price. Um, they're, they're kind of, you know, they're screwed down on price a lot. And so I think there's, um, um, there's a mutually beneficial thing here where Bitcoiners need, you know, obviously uh, to secure food supply, et cetera, of not only food, but quality, you know, good quality food, good quality protein. Um, but on the other hand, the ranchers are able to um, uh, find another outlet or market for their for their goods. And so, you know, I think what, what we're seeing is maybe not maybe people didn't set out with this idea that we're going to have bitcoin kind of ranches or what have you but it's just naturally the incentives are taking it in that direction i think those two communities are coming together and that and that's just forming as a natural um sort of a, a emergence from that just based on incentives so a big big yes from me that, that would probably be the um easiest one to do here in japan mm. right, is that a yes from negative nancy mike for once <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I think that's. I think it's a good idea. All right. Finally, Mike, cranky Mike, cranky ass Mike gives a yes. Yes, Andy <laughs> likes. Andy likes it. As long as as long as I don't have to do any of the ranching, I'm all for this one. I don't. I don't have any idea how to do any of that crap. But I'm more than happy to be there while somebody else does it for me. Next, Citadel. We've kind of actually. I think it was either Dash or maybe both of you hit on this one. And this is Jameson Lop. I saw put on this one. The Citadel, the Bitcoin Citadel, will exist in the metaverse. <laughs> Mike, that's yes, no. Um, this is this sounds more like the invisible Citadel that Dash was talking about earlier. Mm. Yeah, I was going to say. I, I mean, I hundred percent agree with that. I just don't like the word metaverse. Maybe. <laughs> Maybe it's in line with, with Lop's recent foray into shitcoinery and Ethereum. I don't know. I don't know when he said that. But, I mean, I, although I know that metaverse is, you know, that's, it's, an old, it's an old word. It's actually um, something I think was in the early cyberpunk literature, to be fair to, be fair to Lop. So, um, but, yeah, no, I, 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 completely, I completely agree with this. I, you know, I think that's – and it's going to be where the last stand is as well. So let's say we have ranches and islands and we have all sorts of physical locations. But if there is – 
you know, resistance like we think there may be uh, nation state levels, um, you know, ultimately it's the the kind of, you know, cyberspace, the metaverse, wh whatever you want to call it, where, you know, in a sort of peer-to-peer -peer decentralized and pseudonymous way, we're going to be able to keep this movement alive. Um, and obviously Bitcoin being the native currency of the internet is going to be integral to that. So 100% uh, agreement from me. Mike? I generally don't like the sound of metaverse. <laughs> I mean, like, technically, like, what is metaverse? Just things that are taking place online. If it's, like, Facebook's metaverse, then I want nothing to do with it. Yeah, I would tend to agree with you. I think Bitcoin is the intersection of kind of internet, um, internet, uh, the best of the internet and real world hard life, meet space life. So yeah, I, I'm not I mean, even... Uh, was, was Silk Road metaverse or was that real world? Or both? It was the intersection between the two, right? Yeah. I mean, like, yeah, if we're talking about, like, building out a metaverse citadel, kind of sounds mm. like Silk Road to me. Mm. That was relatively successful for a while. Yeah, and to be fair, I don't, I don't think we should let the word metaverse... Um, I mean, that, that word has become associated with shitcoinery and, you know, obviously has some very negative connotations, I think, for all of us on this call. And, yeah, Mike, to your point, the Facebook metaverse, I will die before I ever set one foot or whatever you you know put 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 the vr helmet on to, to go into there so but i you know i, I do that is an old word that's just been co-opted by the shit coiners um to be fair to lop so i, I don't think lop you know he he he's i think he's talking about you know he's talking about whatever you want to call it cyberspace maybe it's silk road but it's it's a, it's it's where you can you can speak uh communicate in a pseudonymous way right um you know maybe nostas the the, the quote-unquote metaverse um you know it's de it's i don't think it's definitely not something corporate and central and and and, and any of that you know facebook nonsense just just to make so that do clear you, do, you think, do you think that the only successful bitcoin stories that we're going to see like let's say in the 21st century or even just the next couple of decades you think they're only going to take place in these like underground cyberpunk synonymous mm. uh environments <laughs> Um, in certain countries, yeah, I, I think it will depend on the jurisdiction as to what level of freedom Bitcoiners have to be public. Um, I, I do think, and I, and I do think it's the last stand. It's where I see as being the last stand, or, or the or the natural home of 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 the Bitcoiners, where you'll never you'll never eradicate Bitcoiners from from cyberspace. You might be able to get them out of the public sphere in certain jurisdictions. Um, and I think also we should hope for the best but prepare for the worst so you know hopefully everything that, that dash is saying this duma talk is not going to transpire and we're all going to live in sort of a bet you know a hard money world and and bitcoin's going to become the, the you know the reserve currency of the world in the future and then as bitcoiners will be able to benefit from our foresight in in in, in seeing that that was going to happen however you know for, for me you know, I'm kind of interested in um, in in the history of the Reformation and, and parallels to the Bitcoin movement, and I feel like that was a very tumultuous time where you know people who were, you know, interested in starting their own churches or, or you know translating the Bible into the vernacular were were you know they were literally burnt at the stake. Um, during that time, that that's not that's fairly recent in human history that, that happened. Um, and and what you know what what's the parallel with the Reformation and and um and bitcoin well i feel like it's you, you know you're separating the state you know in the reformation was maybe separating church and state and what what we're trying to do with bitcoin is even more of a threat to the state because you're talking about separating money and state and the state has always enjoyed you know senior edge and um uh, throughout all of human history and so you're talking about taking that away 
well, you know, that's that you you, you know you, you're going to have to be ready for war, right? But the the only the only conceivable way that plebs can kind of fight back it for me is, is not in the physical realm but it's in it's in the kind of cyber cyberspace realm where we can stay pseudonymous and we can use uh, cryptography and other sort of techniques and tools like that as a sort of you know asymmetric way to defend ourselves and um you know against the overbearing you know the, the force and the, the overwhelming power of the uh, of the state or the state has in the physical world yeah it sounds like as we go through that one the metaverse is kind of uh, we're, the, the the name messes it up, kind of. Uh, it's kind of necessarily. I mean, some something to do with the uh, the the world of the internet will be involved anyway. So it's kind of dep- it's a, that's a hard one to answer because it kind of depends on what we mean by metaverse. So, well, the last one which I did come up, and this is uh, Giacomo Zucco. He doesn't. He rejects the idea of um, uh, Bitcoin as as a mere economic force, and he. Uh, sees a, uh, a citadel um, as a cultural force. So, could a uh, would it be possible for a Bitcoin citadel to be a meta, uh, a metaphorical cultural um, thing, whereby we 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 that is uh, the, the the shield uh, behind which a lot of Bitcoiners stand for the uh, for the culture wars that are ever coming into prominence in our world. Mike, what do you think? I mean, I like the idea of uh, like not trying to hide underground and like promote this idea of these like invisible cyberpunk movement and actually try to claim some ground and stand ground, whether it's in the culture wars or whether it's physical territory or like, I guess just participating right and in, in the whole thing publicly and visibly i like that i mean I, I don't think grounding the whole thing in uh like bitcoin or bitcoin culture or some kind of bitcoin worldview is is going to be sufficient for something like that though and I, I think if anyone tries that on its own it's going to be a, a total failure dash yeah i mean that's that's a great um I mean, it's a great it's a great point i I, I mean, I think that's kind of already happening, and you have this kind of idea that you know Bitcoin is sort of being memed into you know the collective consciousness of um, humanity. And again, it's the it's the kind of meme. It's it's that it's that front of the battle where you know Bitcoin's really winning hearts and minds because you know Bitcoin memers tend to be very on point, very funny, um, and you know it's also. I mean, it's the it's a way of 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 highlighting that the emperor isn't wearing any clothes um, with 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 regards to the sort of legacy financial system in in a way that's kind of humorous and 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 accessible and um and I, I, I you know I do think those the kind of memeing online is 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 um is is kind of raising consciousness and and really contributing and helping this movement um helping it to to you know for helping people to understand what the movement's about helping people to get involved and feel you know feel like they're part of it. Um, and so, but that, but I mean, that's obviously I'm thinking in sort of more, you know, whatever it's Bitcoin, Twitter or whether it's Nostra, it's more of an online, it's like a cyberspace thing rather than uh, a physical world thing. I think Bitcoin has been a lot less successful in the sort of real world, if you like, in terms of its, 
you know, it's, it's cultural impact. I think it's generally viewed negatively. You know, obviously there's been a lot of um, FUD around the energy usage and the sort of, you know, the Greenpeace FUD, et cetera. And the typical normie who's sort of not online and, you know, uh, you know kind of enjoying these memes is just they have a very different view of Bitcoin culturally than, than, than maybe people who are more, you know, on, online or tech savvy do. Um, so I don't know. It's a, it's a, it's a great question, but I guess, and, and, and what, what, what what your argument is what what your question is is how how impactful this is going to be like is this going to be sort of a renaissance style thing where people are you know maybe we have memes the best memes are going to be in a museum in 400 years time or something and and, and people are going to see that that was or you know maybe try and deconstruct that or try and understand the because the, the kind of cultural significance of this movement and how it, and how it helped bring bring about change in the world is that is that is that the the essence of the question well, I, yeah, I mean, I don't know how, uh, how, how Giacomo takes it, but I think um, kind of what, what, what it's getting at is, does the Citadel exist metaphorically mm. for something as a, as a shield by which uh, uh, the uh, plebs get behind it, stand behind mm. it, get, use it mm. as a shield and, you know, march forward? I would, I would 100% say yes, then. Um, as certainly, you know, in, in, in cyberspace online, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I agree yeah. entirely. I mean, like, how many of us are, you know, got into carnivore, they get into health and fitness, they get into mm. reading texts, they get into this and that and the other. It serves as a cultural barrier for a lot of people. It goes too far in a cer- uh, to a certain group. I mean, there's, there's a whole lot of people for which you're asking yourself, are like, are you, a, you know, is this, is, has it become a religion for you? And it'd be hard to, mm. to, for them to say that it hasn't. I mean, it goes a little bit too far. Bitcoin, great money, terrible gospel. But um, I think generally speaking, it's hard to argue against it being a uh, a metaphorical cultural uh, citadel at this point because it already is and it's already uh, operating in that way for a number of people. So finally, some agreement on on number six from all of us here. So currently, and this will be the last question, currently there are a number of, you know, however you want to define it, actual citadel-ish type places located throughout the world. You got Madeira off the coast of Portugal, right? You have El Salvador in South America, Bitcoin Lake, Honduras, or Guatemala, one of those two. You have Bitcoin Ekasi in South Africa and Bitcoin Island off the coast of the Philippines. We have all that we've been talking about. You have these physical places and we have us looking into the future can a bitcoin citadel be built in tokyo yes no think boy mike well i mean like i said earlier i think like in a sense japan is a citadel um and i think it, it could be using bitcoin as money at some point in the future sure i mean I, I think bitcoin can be the global money i think everyone can be using bitcoin as money in the whole world so um i don't I don't see like countries, the big like Bitcoin as like some kind of movement or something. I, I don't see it being like a political movement. There's way too much. It would just be dysfunctional, or it would it would turn into something else because there's way too much um, um, conflicting political, cultural, religious views amongst Bitcoiners. I mean, because there's so many of them, and then even amongst prominent Bitcoiners people who are like Bitcoin celebrities around the world, even amongst them, there's so much 
variety in, in ways that would conflict. Like that's why I don't think there's ever going to be some kind of unified Bitcoin movement or like political entity. But I mean, it is the best money, and it's obvious that for your own personal finances, it's just the, the smartest, most prudent decision to save in it. So and hold your own keys. So that's the way I see it. Well, Debbie Downer, I asked, can we build a Citadel in Tokyo? Oh, can we build it? Or can it be built in Tokyo? <laughs> um, I don't know. I wouldn't, I wouldn't try to set that kind of a goal, but I, I would, I would be happy to help people get set up with their, like with their own wallets and accepting Bitcoin in their own shops one by one. I think that would be a good, uh, a, a better approach. Optimism at its fullest potential from Mike. Dash, what do you say? So I'm, I'm going to be a little bit, I guess, ambiguous here. But I, so, you know, in, in terms of is Tokyo, even Japan, ever going to, or ever going to, I mean, in, in, in the next decade, let's say, are they going to embrace Bitcoin? I would say the chances of that are pretty much zero. Um, I think, you know, I really do not, I'm not impressed with the government here. Um, you might makes a very good point that Tokyo and Japan in general is somewhat of a citadel in that it's very, it's a very functional society. It's, um, you know, it's very orderly. It's very safe. Um, a lot of that is due to the diligence and the self-sacrifice of the Japanese population. Uh, the very, very good people here in Japan. I think we can all testify to that. Um, but they are, they are certainly taken advantage of and abused by the ruling authorities in Japan. Japan, it's an interesting thing. I mean, it's almost a one-party state. I think the LDP has only been out of power for, you know, a handful of years uh, since, since World War II. Um, uh, you know, and, you know, there's, there's things like... For example, Kishida, the prime minister here, recently announced that Japan's going to be raising taxes and spending more on the military. And this is clearly, you know, well, in my opinion, this is this is based on uh, this ramping up of the kinetic war we're seeing and the, and the pressure from the U.S. on a you know so-called allies or, or you could say you know vassal states to to to, to step up and, and and contribute to the to the war effort. Um, now, Kishida was never mentioned any of this during the election. Right. This was never in a manifesto. Uh, he never mentioned it in an, in an interview. As far as I'm aware, if somebody has seen that, please write in. And so he's been elected, you know, on this on this false false premise, right, that he was going to do one thing and now he's doing another. And so, you know, you ask yourself, well, is there any real you know, democracy or, or, or the ability for the people to choose, you know, maybe they can choose their leaders, but it seems they can't choose what their leaders are going to do when they're getting to power. Um, you know, I, I would say no. I would say there's, there's, there's zero hope in the politicians. They rule this country as if it was their own personal fiefdom, which it pretty much is. I mean, if you look at the, the roots of, of some of these, you know, they're sort of generational politicians. Their grandfathers were politicians. You know, that you could, they, a lot of them, they can trace their roots back to the Meiji Restoration and they sort of have samurai lineage and what have you um and so yeah are, are these people going to adopt something which could potentially disrupt them no uh it's, no, it's not going to happen definitely not in the next 10 20 years however can we um build something here as a sort of grassroots thing which is maybe a subcultural thing uh certainly will not be mainstream um you know can, can we can 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 we orange pill a barber somewhere that would accept lightning payments right and then get our get our hairs cut at that barber's um, can we um, do a deal with maybe a rancher in Hokkaido and, and start purchasing uh, stakes, right, with, with Bitcoin? 
yeah, I, we can definitely do that. We can grow the meetup scene. We can even, we could even, you know, we can do like now, we're recording our own podcast. We can get the information out there. Um, but just, just don't expect this to ever be, ever be mainstream. Uh, you know, I, I think 95%, 99% of Japanese will never adopt this. This is always going to be a minority thing here um within our lifetimes that that doesn't mean it's bad though right i mean we can we can still create something here which will help to save um individuals that do join this group they can they can they can save their purchasing power they can um they can leave their children an inheritance um and as you were talking about earlier they could uh, there's other there's other sort of ancillary benefits of this movement like things like people eating better having lower time preference um you know just just getting better habits in general um yeah we can we can have a positive impact on the on people's lives on on, on the community within japan but let's let's temper our expectations it's always going to be um you know something under the radar or, or you know a, a subcultural thing rather than anything mainstream so what do you guys think would happen if um like all right we we always recently we keep hearing about things like quantitative easing and yield yield curve control and everybody's speculating on what's going to happen in the yen i mean like i won't pretend to know what's going to happen in the short term with the yen but let's say it, it did collapse or it was inflating really fast like it became like the turkish lira or something what do you think japanese people would do do you think do you think they would adopt bitcoin or do you think they would just do something entirely different that's a great question. I ha I haven't thought about that so much because I th I believe Japan has significant foreign reserves still, um, in to defend its currency for the foreseeable future. Like I don't know when that like is that five years, ten years. I'm not sure. Um, however, I have seen data like since the financial crisis. Uh, I don't know if you guys know this, but the Japanese who used to, if you remember, they always used to run a trade surplus. In fact, that was a point of contention between the U.S. and Japan as to the size of the Japanese trade surplus. And this is how they acquired their foreign reserves in the first place. Actually, Japan has only, I think, run a surplus one year since the financial crisis. And in fact, every other year has been a, um, a deficit. And last year was the biggest deficit of on uh, since the financial crisis. Um, a lot of that is because of the increase in energy prices, um, etc. But there's also, of course, the devaluation of the currency. So, you know, who knows? There could be a flywheel in effect now. And it seems like, you know, I, we spoke a little bit earlier in the podcast about how many commentators in the West now are talking a lot about Japan and, and, the, and the yield curve control and whether this is going to spin out of control. So it is conceivable that, you know, even as, as, as soon as this year, right, we could see some serious um, negative consequences to that, such as the JPY, the USD, maybe let's say it goes over 200. What does that mean for the average Japanese? We already know that the TEPCO in, in Tokyo is planning to or has applied to the government and asked to raise the price of energy by 30 percent in time for the summer next year um so you know it's not like people are like doing that well out here anyway right i mean people haven't had a pay raise for 30 40 years so you know people's lives are just getting continuously eroded due to this um you know this kind of inflation and um and what have you and so i mean that's a great point mike i mean to what point does the population have they had enough i mean maybe it's when when you have to make a choice between feeding your family or keeping the keeping them warm you know what do people do we we know that the japanese are very typically um you know sort of compliant and docile to some extent but you know if people are pushed to that level of desperation are we going to see you know for example some sort of populist politician come and take advantage of that resentment or anger 
I would expect that was that would be what we'd see. And um, you know, and then kind of all bets are off because um uh you know, I it's, I think it's just unprecedented at this point. And I, I just um I am to be honest, I'm kind of fearful for that kind of scenario, especially as a visible, you know, minority or foreigner here that um that you know that 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 we might be blamed for that or or that might not be be, be maybe you know, ideal for 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 us uh, as as non Japanese here, but the, yeah, that's so. I haven't, I haven't formed my thoughts well there, but that's my initial kind of yeah um, answer to that. But leave, even leaving aside the like cultural and political responses that emerge out of some kind of political chaos like that, or economic chaos, I should say. Um, like, what do you think they're gonna do with their with their money, with their property? Like, let's let's just assume all these people are getting paid weekly mm. paychecks that have to like in they're worth less and yeah. less because the yen keeps crashing yeah. or, or if it's so bad that they're even getting paid like new amounts adjusted every every paycheck yeah. for the inflation like what are they going to do just take it straight to the grocery store stock up on stuff or are they going to be buying precious metals so are they going to be buying dollars or or bitcoin I, th- right? I think i think i know what the government's planning um so i don't know if you guys know but there's kind of this tax-free wrapper you can put equities into it's called nisa and uh they're actually planning to uh, imp- i guess improve that system from next year where you'll be able to put up to it's something like th- um thirty thousand dollars equivalent us a year into equities um in in this tax wrapper per year and then the idea is that you'll do that every year and then you can put a maximum of it's roughly one hundred and eighty thousand us over your lifetime into this tax-free wrapper and then and then that will be tax-free um, you know, for the duration of, of, of you owning that. And um, Kishida has, 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 he has this platform of, he's, he's saying he's going to double everybody's uh, sort of net wealth, if you like. Um, and so I think their plan is they're going to get, get heard everybody into speculating essentially on the, on the stock market. This isn't limited by the way to the Japanese stock market. You can also buy uh, global equity, you know, us and, and other global equities. And so I, I think that's the, the, the plan is everybody sort of saves in, in these tax-free wrappers. Um, and then, you know, as the money supply, we know it's going to be inflated. We know they're going to be printing money and that is likely to push up equity prices um in nominal terms um then at least people will kind of the responsible people who have these accounts will uh, be able to keep their savings intact to some extent and will also provide some kind of wealth effect right because people who are maybe less thoughtful or critical will consider that it's a good thing right that oh wow we're getting richer here um rather than that the, the purchasing power of the yen is dropping so i think that's the plan plan from the government they will also i believe as a result of this <laughs> they will smash anybody who's not putting their uh, assets into these tax wrappers so in other words if you have more than thirty thousand dollars a year invested in the stock market or or maybe if you're investing in things like gold you know, you might find, or, you know, obviously Bitcoin, you might find that they, they turn around and say, well, you know, we, we have this uh, tax-free wrapper, so everything else is now getting 6, 60, 70% capital gains taxes, right? I think that's probably, you know, uh, the, the end goal for the government here. And they need to do it because there's no way that they can pay for social, you know, welfare, the pensions, etc. This is all coming to a head. I was reading today, I think the, the, um, the this is Korea, but the in Korea, they're projected to to actually run out of money in 2055 and it, and you know i think japan has similar demographics and, and what have you to korea so um you know this, this is necessity it's 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 been done out, out of necessity um the government is being forced to do this but yeah this is this is what i think their thinking is and and 
you know, whether it's smart then to, to leverage this um, and sort of trust the government or, or whether, you know, you, you think you'd be better to to buy in a, you know, sort of private manner, um, something like Bitcoin, which could potentially be relocated outside of the jurisdiction, which remember equities can't, you know, once you bought, bought the equity within, within a broker in Japan, you cannot take those out of Japan. Um, you know, that, that's going to be up to each individual to make to make their own decision. Now. And wait, do you think that they're one of the motivations for doing that is that they're trying to pump their own bags? Like does the Bank of Japan own Japanese equities or mm. something? That's right, they do, yeah. I don't know, and I don't know if they're trying to pump their bags, but yes, the the, Jap- the Bank of Japan has has been buying um equities. They have those on, on their books. So so potentially yeah, that's that's another way they see potentially out of the debt problem right if you're pumping your bags and deflate and um sorry um inflating the currency at the same time um you can you can i guess there's an there's an argument that you can you know fix your balance sheet that way but it's it sounds pretty desperate to me well sounds like tokyo is a maybe for the citadel but <laughs> bitcoin citadel we shall try to build i don't know about you two but i think that is possible i do think that you see emerging things you have uh the uh, the nuclear company that's going to start mining next year or this year rather, um, or t- uh, start uh, mining Bitcoin with excess uh, energy, and you see um, the conservative nature of the Japanese populace. You see the way Tokyo structured. I do think it's ripe for moving into Bitcoin. It was one. It was uh, big into it under the aforementioned former Bitcoiner Roger Ver, and I do think that if we Frame it in the right way. We put we we start to show the benefits here. It can little by little start to make Tokyo a citadel for us here in Japan. Yeah, well, I mean, gentlemen, I think, like, long term, it's uh, it, it, it's the most fitting. Like if you have a conservative culture that's like against novelty. I mean, Bitcoin obviously is new now, but I mean, it's just like a really low time preference, boring thing to just mm. use as money and not try to be jumping onto the hottest investment every, every couple of years. It's um, in the long term. it's like a very stable, boring, conservative thing. And that's what it makes it appeal so much to, I, I think like in the long run, it's a very fitting culture. Dash, do you agree? Um, yeah, I, I would, I would like to agree. I mean, I, I love Japan, you know, I, you know, chose to sort of build my life here. I think Japanese people are great. The culture's um, great. Um, you know, the politicians, right, are the problem. Um, so I think if the politicians could stay out of the way, uh, in fact, it was kind of it was kind of funny because I remember the, there's, a, there's a group out here. I know you guys know, but just for the benefit of the listeners, they're called Diamond Hands, um, who are a very active group of, of uh, Japanese, mainly technical folks who are very interested in the Lightning Network. Um, really, really great group. Um, check them out if you, um, you know, if you're if, if you're interested in, in, in sort of Bitcoin activity in Japan. But there was a poll in one of their spaces where they said, you know, would, would you like would you like the government to make Bitcoin part of its like one of its strategic initiatives? <laughs> Most people voted no. They just wanted the government to, leave, you know, just to stay out of it. Um, and, you know, I think that was quite telling is I think if the government stays out of the way and, you know, the government in Japan right now, I think someone mentioned that they were issuing NFTs and things. By the way, they, they're obsessed with Web 3.0 and the metaverse and they've been completely taken in by the, the shit coiners and the scams. 
I don't see that as a bad thing. I think that's good that the government's distracted with that. I think as long as it continues, the better. And just hopefully, you know, um, we can connect with the Japanese plebs here and build this in a grassroots, uh, you know, bottom-up manner. Because if we do that, you know, the Japanese people are absolutely fantastic, very smart population, very creative people. Um, you know, we can do great things out here. I just think the problem's going to come when the, when the government comes along and tries to help, right? That's, that's where we're going to see the issues. Understandable, but I do think it's possible. And Bitcoin, at least I think so, is hopeful. Gives something, gives something to latch on, gives something uh, tangible to latch on, all right, uh, to, to hold on to in the economic world. Sounds like, gentlemen, we can wrap up here. It's a good place to kind of roll out. I'll ask you both to say final words on Bitcoin Citadels, based or cringe. And after that, we'll say our goodbyes. Mike, Bitcoin Citadel, based or cringe? Um, pro- probably kind of cringe. <laughs> That's- uh, potential to, <laughs> the potential to be based. Perhaps. Dash, what do you say? Um, I would say I'm still trying to work out what based is. I kind of know it when I see it, but it, it's hard to define. But I, I, I completely agree with Mike. It's um, It has the potential to be both. It has the potential to be kind of cringe and LARPy. And I think what, what's important is that we very – Bitcoiners need to be the most critical about Bitcoin in order for this to succeed. We need to keep ourselves grounded. We need to you know keep our expectations right. And, and, and really think, you know, 10, 12 more moves down the chessboard here um, and, 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 you know, keep, keep, keep ourselves grounded for that, for that, for that reason, right? Because we see what's coming. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, um, let's, let, listen, let's, let's keep it based. I think we, that's down to us, right? That's down to us in, in whatever, whatever we are here in the, in, you know, the Tokyo Citadel. We're, we're certainly the, um, you know, the early denizens of that, right? So we, we've got to, we've got to shape that culture and we've, we've got to make sure it's based and not cringe. It's up to us. And I say it is based. And for those two answers, Mike and Dash, you will not be allowed into the Bitcoin Citadel. <laughs> the, um, well, as we head out here, uh, there will be music playing in the background, which is from one of our own members, an album entitled Ghost Wife. You can find us at on Twitter at Tokyo Citadel. You can find us online at tokyocitadel.com. Dash, do you have anything final to say? No, I just uh, I just wanted to say, um, you know, I really enjoyed doing this. I hope we can make this a regular thing. I hope that people listening who are interested to connect with us, they reach out um, and, um, you know, that, that, that we can see some of you guys. We hold regular meetups in Tokyo, so um, I'm sure we can talk more about those on, on future episodes. And let's just keep growing this thing. And, um, you know, it's a worldwide movement. And, you know, we're, we're here in Tokyo. We're here for any plebs that come over and, and sort of want to connect and want help out here. Um, and, uh, yeah, just excited to just to keep this keep growing this thing and, and, and make it make it I don't know as good as good as it can be Mike yeah I mean I um, I'm hoping this is a regular thing where we can talk about a variety of subjects and uh, and also promote Bitcoin around the area here and, and talk about our experience well thank you gentlemen for the doom porn expert for the think boy this is the know-it-all saying goodbye and we'll see you at the next one.